if you will, please turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Ivan. I am assistant pastor here. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'm in Psalms. If you'll please stand for the reading of the Word of God. This sermon will be based off of um, verse 6 and 7 here, but uh, just for context, I'm go going to read verses 4 through 14. 1 Corinthians 9, 4 through 14. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of our Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? But does he say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of this hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. You may be seated. Spencer, can you turn me down just a little bit? Thank you. All right, let's pray. Blessed Father in heaven, we now come to you this morning through the blood of our great shepherd, Jesus Christ. Father God, I pray that you grant me utterance. You grant the spirit to speak to these precious people of God. I pray that you would grant ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to understand and receive the word joyfully 
and that when we leave this place, we would leave more pleasing in your eyes. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you have not, in the back, uh, there are bulletins, there are notes for the sermon in there. So, And if you've noticed, uh, this sermon is entitled, Understanding Your Pastor as a Shepherd. And that is what the focus is today. Okay, understanding the shepherding role, which ultimately Jesus Christ was our example of the perfect shepherd, which Lord willing, we'll get into. But here we have Paul, and he's speaking about his work as a shepherd. You're like, I don't see shepherd in that passage. Well, actually, in verse 7, at the very end, when it says, your translation may say, who tends a flock, that's actually the word for shepherd. So he's asking, who shepherds a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Now we see Paul here, you know, he, he says we could have went forward and he says, but I, I don't use this right. We say, yeah, you know, Paul, he shepherded the flock, you know, but he went out and he made tents and, you know, that that's how he survived that provided for him well if you read the new testament closely you'll find paul actually has a pattern by which he does things when he plants a church in order for two reasons for one not to be a burden to that church that new church plan he works and two to be an example an example of how you should labor with your own hands and support the weak. However, once that church is established, he does receive support from them. We see at the in Philippians chapter 4, he writes to the church, thanking them for their support. We see in 2 Corinthians, you know now Corinthians was a new church plant. But he says to them sarcastically, he says, didn't, we, didn't I rob other churches in order not to be a burden to you? In other words, they were a new church plant. He wasn't going to burden them, but he did receive support. So here Paul is making an argument that the shepherd has to go work somewhere else. What Paul is doing is setting forth himself as an example of someone who in his wisdom, you know, as we'll see, the shepherd is to be an example. He sought to be an example of someone who labors and supports the weak out of love. And also that he was setting forth an example for all shepherds to follow that there is a time where you want the church, especially a new church plant, to develop and to grow and not to be a burden to them. But however, as he says here, that the Lord does want his shepherds supporting to give themselves entirely to shepherding. 
That's two reasons I believe that um, the shepherd isn't supported by the congregation. And one of those is simply ignorance. You know, you may not know what scripture says about it. You know, by the grace of God, I pray that everyone would be fully informed today. But another reason is rebellion. You know, we see here, even in verse 14, even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. However, rather ignorance or rebellion, it is helpful to understand our pastor as a shepherd. And specifically, I'm speaking of our senior pastor, the one who planted this church, understanding his calling, understanding our pastor as a shepherd. I mean, does, does our pastor just show up on Sundays, give us a message, then go home, show up on Wednesday, then go home? Is that what he's called to do? Or is he called to, called to something more. And that's what I want to examine today. So as we work through our New Testament, we see basically two roles of the one who is called to shepherd. The first one of those is to rule. The word is overseer. This, this word in the Greek uh, New Testament, the Septuagint, it's used way back starting in the book of Numbers, chapter 4, speaking of Moses and Aaron as overseers of Israel. And then they appointed overseers, some over 100, some over 50, some over 10s. So this is where this idea comes from. So all the way back from the beginning, God has appointed his people to be shepherded by overseers. So what is an overseer? Well, in uh, Acts chapter 20, when Paul is speaking to the elders of the church of Ephesus before he leaves, he says, Take heed to the flock of God, to which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, and shepherd the flock of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. So the oversight of the shepherd is he's not just dealing with a common people. It's not just someone he can, you know, well, I'll, I'll show up, you know, I'll exercise some authority or whatever, and then I'll go home and they can fend for themselves. No. Jesus is like, I purchased them with my own blood. They are precious. And in Hebrews... We're giving a little more insight. They keep watch for your souls as those who will give an account. So that is what the overseer is called to do, to keep watch for your souls. And Peter, he says to his fellow elders, he says, shepherd the flock of God and exercise oversight. He says, not under compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, and not lording it over those entrusted to you. So the oversight that is exercised is not as a lord, as a master, as a dictator, I'm going to give you the rules and you obey. 
but says not lording it over those entrusted to you, but as examples to the flock. So yes, the shepherd, the pastor, he is given oversight, but not as one who just barks off rules, but one that is to be an example, to be the embodiment of the, the rule he is setting forth, the rule from the word of God. He's to be the embodiment of that. There's a reason why Paul twice, once in Timothy and once in Titus, he uses that very word and says an overseer or an elder, a pastor, a shepherd, an overseer, he says, must be blameless. He must be blameless. That is an essential. I'll use myself as an example. If I'm up here and I do not embody the things that I teach, say you're coming to me about your marriage. I'm telling you, love your wife as Christ loves the, the church and you can follow me home. And you're like, really? That, that isn't what you were saying. I have no business being up here. Let's say uh, you came to me about something. I told you what the word of God said. And then something happened down the road and you had to come and live with me for six months to a year. And you watched my life. And you're like, okay, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but... That's not what I'm seeing. Now, will you see sin? Yes, you'll see sin. And you should see repentance. You should not see a pattern of sin. But nevertheless, an overseer must be blameless. So this is the oversight that God gives to the shepherd, to the pastor of the flock of God. And as I briefly alluded to in Hebrews Chapter 13, verse 17, regarding the rule of the pastor, of the overseer. He says, obey those who rule over you and be submissive because they keep watch for their soul, your souls as one who is to give account. So we're like, okay, do, does his authority have limits? You, you just obey him? I mean, if after church, you know, we go out to eat and you're like, hey, uh, should I get a burger or chicken? I say, get the burger and you get chicken. Did you disobey that scripture? <laughs> you know, because I, you know, you weren't submissive to what I said. But however, the authority of the pastor, the shepherd, the overseer, it has limits. It's limited to the word of God. You know, if you were to ask one of us uh, elders here, if you ask us a question regarding your marriage or regarding something that, some decision you had to make that the Bible clearly speaks of, and we're like, this is, yes, it's come from our mouths, but this is what the Word of God says, and you disobey, then you are disobedient to that scripture and not just simply being disobedient to us. Let, let me use an example. Say, um, I have to run to the store. I leave my oldest son in charge. And say, okay, Solomon's in charge. I'll be back shortly. I run to the store and come back. 
and find out my other children were being disobedient to him. Well, the first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to see if he was trying to enforce his own rules. Oh, I'm in charge, so I can now tell you guys what to do. Or were they being disobedient as he sought to enforce my rules? So it's the same thing here. When any of you guys, you, we give you as overseers, we give you the word of God, and you disobey, the problem isn't that you're disobeying us. Because we didn't write this book. We have to submit to this book just as you do. The problem is that you're disobeying the chief shepherd, the overseer of all of our souls, those who are purchased by his blood. So that is the overseer's rule. And as we spoke of his example, what does that mean for you? Well, go back a few verses in Hebrews 13. You know, he says, remember those who rule over you. He says, whose faith follow, seeing the outcome of their conduct. So you are to follow our faith. You're like, how do I follow someone's faith? Whereas James says, faith without works is dead. It should produce something. You should be able to see our faith in action. Which even speaks of that we cannot just show up and go home. We have to be available to you guys. You guys have to see us live. You should see how we conduct ourselves with our children. You should see how we conduct ourselves with our wives. We should be open to you guys. We don't just come, preach a message, go home, and you hear nothing of us until it's Wednesday, it's Bible study, we show up, we go home. No, you guys should know. You should be in our lives. Our lives should be an open book so that you guys can have something to follow. You know, there, back to what Paul said about the overseer must be blameless. There's a reason. Because as Jesus says, a disciple, when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. There is a, a real relation between the pastor, or we'll say the shepherd, and the sheep. And the sheep, now by the grace of God, I mean, it's a great thing that, you know, the grace of God will even work to sanctify you if you are under a bad shepherd. But... There is a, a real truth that your holiness as the congregation, as the people of God, will never go beyond the holiness of your pastor, your example, your teacher, your shepherd. So that's why it's so crucial that the overseer must be blameless. Because we're to be a blameless example for all of you guys to follow. So, understanding your pastor as a shepherd is understanding that he is 
He is an overseer. He's been given oversight of the flock of God. You know, not just one who takes the pulpit or opens the Bible to teach you, but one who is keeping watch for your souls. You can't do that just, you know, a few hours here or a few hours there. To be involved in the life of the flock. To open his life to the flock as an example. So this is his role as his rule, his oversight. But also scripture speaks that as a shepherd he is to feed the flock. You know at the end of the book of John when Jesus is restoring Peter he says to Peter do you love me three times and the first time he uses the word feed then shepherd then feed so we have shepherd so how is Peter to shepherd his people by feeding them you're like okay well how I mean do is he supposed to be in the kitchen and prepare so feed them on what well, we, we can go all the way back to the book of Jeremiah. And in chapter 3, we have God coming and condemning the people. And he's like, my people have committed two evils. They've rejected me, the fountain of living waters, and made for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And he tells them about the judgment that is to come, but he doesn't stop there. He gives them promises, and one of them is this. I will give them shepherds after my own heart that will feed them on knowledge and understanding. So what is the pastor, what is the shepherd, what is the overseer supposed to feed the sheep on, feed the flock of God? What is he to feed them on knowledge and understanding? We see in the book of Acts, chapter 6, you know, there's an issue in the church. You know, some widows are being neglected. It's a, indeed a legitimate ministry of the church, a, a need of the church. But when it's brought to the apostles who are called to shepherd, to feed the flock, they say it's not right for us to leave our ministry to serve tables but we'll give ourselves continually to the ministry of the word and prayer feeding the flock of God was their calling as shepherds you know if, if you think about it it's a ministry of the church how come the people can say well you know you can, you, you can pray while you're serving tables. I mean, you can meditate on the word while you're, you know, taking care of these widows. But that's not what the Lord has appointed. He's appointed for the shepherd who feeds the flock of God to be able to give himself fully and undistracted to that work. We see in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, he says, Honor those. Those, those elders, those shepherds, those overseers, honor them that rule well, 
that exercise their oversight in the Lord well. And he says, especially those who labor hard in the word and the doctrine. And you're like, okay, well, well, I can do that. I, I will show them honor. They labor hard in the word and the doctrine. But Paul, he goes further than that. He wants to give you the specifics. And he says, for scripture says, which takes us back to where we begin, where he quote, quotes it in this text. He says, for scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox as it treads out the grain. And also, he quotes the words of Jesus, a laborer is worthy of his wages, which goes back to Corinthians again. The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. So this is the calling of your pastor. He's not just a preacher. He doesn't just show up and go home. Your pastor is to shepherd your soul. He is to feed you. He is to exercise the oversight of the word of God in your life. Apply the word of God to your life. He must give account for your soul. You might be like, well, you know, I'm, I'm good. You know, I, I understand the word of God. I don't need a shepherd. I don't need a pastor. Well, we must realize our pastors, our shepherds, therefore, our good. In that verse, it continues. You know, yes, we must give account, but he says, let them do this joyfully and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable to you. So, how we conduct ourselves concerning our shepherds should be in a way that is submissive and obedient to their rule, to their oversight, because that's for the good of our own souls. And I include myself. You never outgrow needing a shepherd. I thank God that we have two other men here, and they are my pastors. They are my overseers. Yes, I have some responsibilities that God has given me, but that does not say, okay, you've graduated from needing a pastor. No, every pastor needs a pastor. Every shepherd needs a shepherd. Amen. So I thank God for him providing that. And who knows, there, there may be some, in, some, some of you guys in here that God may be raising up right now. And years from now, Maybe you will plant a church and you will be the only shepherd. Well, you must find someone who can shepherd your soul. Even the pastor is not meant to be a lone pastor. So that is the calling of a shepherd. Now, as I mentioned before, we have an example of a perfect shepherd. And he sets before us the, the perfect model. And we see even in the ministry of Christ in Luke chapter 8, it tells us that 
he was supported, that he can give himself fully to shepherding. Yes, he, he grew up probably the first 30 years of his life, at least when he became of age until, you know, 30 years. You know, yes, he was a carpenter. Yes, he worked hard. But when God called him into shepherding, God provided people that he could give himself fully to shepherding. He said, I am the good shepherd. And he shepherded the people of Israel. And when he, as he came to, I guess you can say, the conclusion of his earthly ministry, shepherding the people of Israel, he quoted Zechariah and said, strike the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. And he was struck by the rod of God and suffered the wrath of God in continuing his shepherding duties over his flock. See, in his life as the good shepherd, he perfectly obeyed God. Why? Because his sheep could not. Yet God is a righteous God. And he cannot just say, okay, well, you tried your best. I'm going to let you into heaven. You tried your best. I'm going to let you stand before me. I'll sweep your sins under the rug. No, God is righteous. And God cannot do that. Or he would be an unjust judge. So, our good shepherd, he perfectly obeyed God as a man in our place, in the place of his sheep. We spoke of limited atonement this morning, that the atonement of Christ is limited in its scope and its intention for the sheep. And Jesus Christ, he perfectly obeyed God for his sheep. Then, on account of the sins of his sheep, he took them upon himself, and the shepherd was struck by the rod of God and suffered the wrath of God. We sang it this morning. And Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless faith, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was slain. So our shepherd took the sins of the sheep upon himself. Then what? The writer of Hebrews tells us. He was raised from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, according to the blood of the everlasting covenant. And now, Peter tells us that he himself bore in his body are sins on that tree that we might die to sin, become alive to righteousness. For by his stripes we are healed. For we were once like sheep going astray, but now have been turned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. With that being said, I know that everyone in here has not come to the shepherd and overseer 
of your souls. Do you know anything about Jesus Christ as your overseer? Does he rule your life that you delightfully obey him? Not grudgingly. You know, as he said, you have died to sin. The power of sin, the love of sin in your life is broken. Yes, you sin, but you hate it. You repent. You turn to him. You have died to sin. You are alive to righteousness. The righteousness you once hated, you now love. That is your desire. And one of your, the biggest grievances in your life is that you cannot do the righteousness you desire. So you cling to your shepherd and overseer. Do you know anything of that? I pray that if you do not know the shepherd and overseer of your souls, that you will come to him. For he says, he who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. And Peter tells us he is coming back, the chief shepherd. And specifically in that passage, he's speaking of him as the chief shepherd to reward his under-shepherds, the pastors that he has left here, the overseers of the flock of God. However, it's not just them. But when he comes back, he will reward his people. And uh, Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we're told about our shepherd's return. And we're told the Lord Jesus, our shepherd, he will be revealed from heaven in flaming fire. And he will take vengeance on those who do not know God, who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his power. So when the shepherd comes back, He will take vengeance. However, for his sheep, those who have returned to the shepherd and overseers of their souls, those who have died to sin, become alive to righteousness. He says in that day, he will be glorified in his saints and admired by all those who believe because his testimony was believed. Do you believe the testimony of our shepherd? Blessed are you, if you do. But his shepherding work doesn't stop there when the chief shepherd returns. Because we're told in Revelation chapter 7 that when he brings us into the new heavens, the new earth, it says that the lamb will dwell among them and will shepherd them and will lead them to streams of living water. His shepherding role continues throughout all eternity. And without distraction, he fully gives himself to shepherding, to overseeing the complete flock of God. In John chapter 10, when he says, I am the good shepherd, he says in there, there are other sheep I have. Them I must bring. They must hear my voice. There will be one flock and one shepherd, and in that day it will be fulfilled as we will be shepherded by streams of living water 
for all eternity. He will be our shepherd. And we will see him. No longer through a glass dimly, but we will see him face to face. So again, do you know the shepherd and overseer of your souls? I pray that if you do not, this would be the last day you don't know of him. That you will come to him. And for those of us who do, let us rejoice in our, our shepherd and the overseer of our souls. Now, that's the end of the sermon, but I want to say just a couple of words to our situation. As I spoke of, specifically speaking of our senior pastor, who planted this church six years ago. His desire, his calling, is to oversee the flock of God. To give himself to feeding, to shepherding our souls as he must give a can. There's been times he's worked as many as three jobs and he's not the only one in his house that works. By the grace of God, he does receive a little support from this church and that helps him be able to get through month after month. But as we understand God's calling on our pastor Jeff as a shepherd to give himself fully to this work, to this ministry. I just pray that the Lord would do a work even through this word today in your heart. Many of you are the very reason that he receives any support and I thank you for your faithful, God-honoring support. But I just, if there is anyone out there, perhaps everyone in here is faithfully giving. If there is anyone out there that hears this word, know that you aren't simply giving money to a guy to show up and preach, to teach a Bible study. You are supporting not only someone who is called by God into this ministry, but you are investing in your own soul. So I'd encourage you. Heed the command of Christ that a laborer is worthy of his wages and support the ministry and the call of the man that God has appointed to this work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father God, I, I thank you for your help. Father, I know when it comes to our finances and things like that, Sometimes we get rubbed the wrong way. 
I pray, Father, that if I said anything that is not according to your word, you would blot it out. But you would take the words that were your words and you would apply them and you will make them come alive. You will make them come in power to those who hear. Father, we would love, but even more than that, I know that it is your heart, your desire to see our senior pastor be able to, after six years of diligently laboring outside of this work, to be freed up from serving tables, as it were, to fully give himself to shepherding the flock of God, and keeping watch for our souls. I thank you for his faithfulness, O oh God. Continue to grant him grace. Continue to grant him grace. And may he be that blameless man, that blameless example for the flock of God. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.